can have a seat, and uh, however you prefer, open your Bibles or Bible apps to Revelation chapter 16. We are getting very close to the end of this uh, last book of the Bible, and um, it's, uh, it's been very interesting to say the least. I, uh, I trust that uh, God's Word has spoken to your heart and will continue to do that. So it, uh, it took us several weeks, but uh, last week we were finally introduced to the last of the three woes uh, mentioned in chapter 8. Uh, the, we'll just kind of go through a, a little review here, the first uh, three blanks on your outline. The first was the release of the army described as locusts from the bottomless pit. Uh, that was back in chapter 9. We identified them as demons. The second was the two witnesses who prophesied against those left in the world. And that was in chapter 11. The third was inter- the introduction of seven angels with seven plagues represented by seven bulls of the wrath of God in chapter 15 last week. And in all of this, we heard the voice of victory as we heard the martyr's song of praise to the Lord God Almighty. Those who had been completely cut off from society, unable to buy or sell anything, those uh, under immense persecution because of their belief in Christ, they were sustained by Him. And the truth still rings true today. The victory of Jesus comes to the one who lays down their life. Victory comes through surrender. Uh, remember the similarities of what happened with God's people in Revelation and with the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Uh, these similarities will continue today in our reading in chapter 16. But last week we saw them standing near the sea, saved by the blood of the Lamb, singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, and giving praise and glory to Him who is described as the one whose works are greater in mass Weight, number, quantity, importance, authority, and intensity, and are worthy of amazement and honor. They sing to the Lord God Almighty, the one who holds sway over all things, who is the King, who is to be feared by all nations, who is holy, set apart from all others. His kingdom is coming. Chapter 16 is the final countdown as we step one step closer. To the end. We were introduced to them last week, and now these seven angels emerge from the heavenly temple and are instructed to pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God, each one with a specific target. And in all of these, God is reclaiming what is rightfully His. You will notice the quotation there in verse 1 This is God speaking. So if you are able, please stand out of respect for the word of God. We read Revelation 16, 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we see, we're just going to kind of go through this outline here. Uh, The first bowl, number one, is loathsome sores. Uh, That word loathsome means to cause hate, to be repulsive or revolting. 
so we don't have to go into great detail, but the word foul, it means unnatural, not right, not as it should be. And so almost the entire population of the world will be affected head to toe, all those who took the mark of the beast. This is similar to the sixth plague on Egypt in Exodus chapter 9. Uh, this is the same word used to describe the sores on the beggar Lazarus in Luke 16.21, as well as the sores that plagued Job in Job 2.7. Now, we can imagine in our world today, people will scramble to find a vaccine or anything to cure these, but verse 11 suggests that they will not be curable. So, oozing, nasty, not right, painful sores, an outward sign of inward condition. Now, just think about this. You, you, like me, have probably known people who live in constant pain. And, and it always amazes me how believers endure that pain differently. Because the natural response to constant pain is not joy, it's not patience, it's not kindness. For me, the natural response to pain is not any of the fruit of the Spirit. And so it will be here when the Holy Spirit is removed, all the affected don't know Jesus. We can just imagine how that will play into relationships. It will be a volatile environment. So first is loathsome sores. Secondly, we see the waters are turned to blood. Waters turn to blood. So these are the, uh, we're including the second and third bowls here. Um, it's the same as the, the first plague on Egypt in Exodus. Verse 3 says this, uh, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So we have two different waters affected by these bowls here. Um, they were affected by the trumpets as well, and so we can identify these uh, as the, the sea as salt water and the water as fresh water. Now, in the earlier judgments, uh, only a third of these waters were polluted, but here they all are. Notice every living creature in the sea is killed there in verse 3. Adding to the stench of death, uh, cutting off sustenance, being in pain, this is the condition of those who have rejected Jesus. God goes on to give a reason for these plagues. I heard the angel, verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. So those who rejected Jesus, they demonstrated they were bloodthirsty against God's people, and now God has given them exactly what they wanted. It's a, it's a reminder for us uh, to live by Psalm 37.4. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. I think many times God gives us the desires of our hearts, but when we forget to delight in the Lord first, ultimately, the result could be what we see here in verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 16. We get what is coming to us, and then we realize we really didn't want it after all. So after three bowls, all unbelievers are plagued with painful sores, they have no water to drink, and the stench of death is likely overwhelming. And according to God's word, it is their just due. Number three, 
Men are scorched. Men are scorched. Look at verse 7. I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Now, we already know that a third of the sun's light has been removed, and so now God turns up the heat. Now, here in Missouri, we understand what it's like to uh, turn up the heat a little bit. We, have seen, we see triple digits from time to time. And, and think about that. Uh, during those times, we are constantly reminded, stay hydrated, stay hydrated, stay hydrated. But that won't be possible here because the water system has been deemed useless. I mean, imagine what constant worldwide heat would do to this earth. Uh, Polar ice caps would melt. Some estimate that that would raise the sea level by over 200 feet. Many of our nation's most prosperous cities would be underwater. New York, D.C., Houston, San Francisco, all of Florida. Not to mention the worldwide effect. With all the devastation that the world has already seen, the power grid won't be able to keep up with the air conditioning needs. There will not be enough shade. And so there is this incessant heat hitting the open sores with absolutely no relief. Verses here that almost sounds like God might grant some relief if only they would repent. But verse 9 says, they will not. And so there is no relief. Prophet Malachi spoke of this day. Malachi 4, 1 through 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. So friends, while we still have breath in our lungs, while you still have a beat in your heart, you still have the choice to accept the free gift of life through Jesus. Malachi clearly paints the picture of the difference between following hard after the things of this world or following hard after the things of God. Why wouldn't we choose the free pardon that God is offering? We have sores. We have waters deemed useless. Scorching heat. Number four on your outline is the fifth bowl. It is darkness and pain. Darkness and pain. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Now that word throne there is another that could be literal or it could be figurative. Uh, This could refer to the Antichrist's actual throne or his capital city. But either way, his entire kingdom has been covered in darkness. It reminds us of the ninth plague 
against Egypt in Exodus 10. So, I mean, think about this. Antichrist has shined the spotlight on himself his entire reign, and now God will turn the lights off and expose the weakness of his kingdom. This darkness is yet another outside picture of what's going on inside the hearts of everyone in his kingdom. Notice that phrase, gnawing the tongue. Research tells us that people sometimes chew on their tongues as a stress reliever. As, as if they're attempting to relieve pain, cause pain in one area of their bodies, so to forget pain in another. And again, this will not alleviate anything. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Even after the sores, even after the waters were made useless, even after the sun scorched them, even after they were left in darkness and pain, they still didn't repent of their obstinate, rebellious, and hate-filled hearts. Number five is the sixth bowl. The Euphrates is dried up. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. They gather them together to a place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. We can acknowledge that this is, this is kind of strange, but let's just start with the river Euphrates. It's often referred to in scripture as the great river. It runs some 1,800 miles from its source at Mount Ararat in the Persian, to the Persian Gulf. It's a natural border that by this time is struggling, having been turned to blood and under intense heat. Uh, remember, the ice caps would have melted, so now it's likely flooded. God is doing some incredible things to make this happen. This boundary is removed so that kings from the east will be able to make their way toward Jerusalem, the center of the Antichrist's activity. These could be actual kings, probably are world leaders led by demonic influences. Uh, they could be waging war against the Antichrist for all his empty promises and his bad leadership. Or they may be targeting what is left of Israel one final time. Keep in mind, everyone in this army is experiencing sores. And they are thirsty. And they are in darkness and in pain. And they will fight against those who are experiencing the same thing. This is what sin has reduced humanity to. Verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Unclean spirits refer to demons, we're told here in, in these verses. In Israel's culture, frogs were unclean. In Persian mythology, they were believed to induce plagues. These demons are described as slimy, unclean, and disgusting. Notice where they come from in verse 13. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy trinity, the terrible trio, 
that we are so familiar with now introduced back in chapters 12 and 13. The dragon that we identified as Satan, the beast as the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Of these three frog-like demons, verse 14 says, they are spirits of demons performing, performing signs, and so they are still using deceit because it's all they know. They go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. So now we see not just kings from the east as earlier, but kings from the whole world being drawn by demonic influences to this region of the world. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to a place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. So just so you, you're aware, you may be aware already, there is a valley of Armageddon. Uh, it's 60 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Napoleon called it the most natural battlefield in all the earth. It's known as the Valley of Jezreel and the Hill of Megiddo in Scripture. It means place of slaughter. It's 14 miles wide and 20 miles long. And some of the views, if you look up Valley of Armageddon, they look like they're taken from a drone, but they're really not. But there's just this naturally high border around it. Uh, Gideon met the, met the Midianites there in Judges 7. King Saul and his sons lost their lives there in 1 Samuel 31. It has been used for battles and as, as an escape route for centuries. And for the sake of time, I want to encourage you to read Zechariah 14 sometime this week. Zechariah 14, in light of what we're seeing here in Revelation, because it, it parallels what we're reading. The Valley of Armageddon is where this holy trinity will face off with the evil trinity. Behold, I am coming as a thief, verse 15 says. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so this is just another reminder of at least the one thing we can learn from this study. We cannot know when these visions and everything that they mean. Uh, we, we don't know the timing of them. We can speculate and we can choose a direction. But at the end of the day, all we can for sure know, what we can for sure know is that Jesus is coming back. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. And we desperately need to be ready and live lives of holiness for when he does. Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. Final judgments are terrible sores. Water is useless, it's turned to blood. People are being scorched by the sun. The world is in darkness and pain. The Euphrates has now been dried up to make the way for kings of the east to make their way to Jerusalem. And demons are drawing in armies from the rest of the world. It's now time to tip the seventh bowl. Number six on your outline. The earth is shaken. The earth is shaken. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. We've heard similar uh, a phrase before, haven't we? It is finished, remember, from Jesus on the cross. There it referred to his sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
signaling the completion of his mission. And so here in Revelation, is signaling his plan to redeem those saved by his sacrifice. It is done. Verse 18, there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God. Because of the plague of hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. The earth is shaken. The, uh, the largest earthquake on record happened in Chile in May of 1962. It registered at 9.5 on the Richter scale. It lasted 10 minutes and caused an 82-foot tsunami, widespread destructions, and hundreds of deaths. Now this earthquake in chapter 16 will surpass this. Worldwide, ultimately taking down Babylon and its beliefs and practices. As you read Zechariah 14 this week, you will notice in verse 4, it speaks of the topography of Jerusalem changing. It will be unrecognizable. And then we add to this, this earthquake a hailstorm with hail as big as a talent. A talent is known as the heaviest weight a man could hold. So anywhere from 75 to 130 pounds. Imagine that size hail. This is not golf ball size hail. This is beach ball sized hail. It's reminiscent of the seventh plague in Egypt in Exodus 9. The Egyptians wouldn't repent then, even though they were warned it was coming, and it's the same for the inhabitants of the earth here. It's interesting. In Leviticus 24, 16, God told his people to stone blasphemers, and that's exactly what God is doing at the end of time. But church, these are, are difficult chapters to navigate through. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I prefer to, to talk about how God is love and of his mercy and his kindness. Don't we know that that's only part of his character? He is love, but he's also just. And he must punish sin. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. But that's where his love and his mercy and his kindness comes in the most. Because he loved us, he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins, to purchase a place in heaven, so that these verses that we're looking at here today do not have to describe our future. John three seventeen, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. The people described in these chapters have a complete rebellion and rejection of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, and it is alive and well today. Oh, Lord, let it not describe any of us here this morning. Movements of armies, opposition to God, will not stop it. Verse 15 again, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked 
and they see his shame. See, a thief doesn't make an appointment. It comes unexpected. And that's how the return of our God will be. That's how all of this will be. Didn't even see it coming. Are you ready? Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? We go into a time of invitation. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? <clears throat> and allow God to, uh, to work in your heart. What has God said to you through his word? What are you going to do about it?